0: Welcome back to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Well, this week I have another guest who is producing work and it's being published through Alterna Comics. Alterna Comics is one of my favorite publishers because they are making comic books available in print once again on newsprint for only $1.50 an issue. So I can't pass that up. I add as many as I can to my poll list and I enjoy all their books. And my guest on this week's show is no exception, Jordan Hart, is the creator and writer of Doppelganger. And he even does the art on the covers. And I want to talk to him on this episode about his latest work being published through Alterna. I talk with Jordan about the book's road to print comic books, why he likes working through Alterna Comics, and why he likes working with his artist Emmanuel Javier. Besides talking about this four-part mini-series, we also discuss famous figures in comics he has met, including Stan Lee, George R.R. R. Martin, And of course, we talk about some of his favorite music from 80s hair metal to Dean Martin. We also talk about old comics that we love to buy and collect. Those books from the Silver Age by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, including a recent acquisition he picked up. Now, you're probably thinking, whoa, whoa, Christopher, back up there. You mentioned famous people in comics and you mentioned George R.R. Martin. Well, there's a story behind that, why he actually is a famous person in comics. And Jordan's going to tell us all about that. And Jordan and I also talk about his other comic book work. So let's get started. My conversation with Jordan Hart on Doppelganger, here now on Creator Talks. Jordan, welcome to Creator Talks. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. You're calling from California. Santa Monica?
1: Yes. Yep. Santa Monica, Los Angeles.
0: Is it sunny today? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is here, too. We had some snow last night, but it's uh, it's all melting away today. It's wonderful. Well, that's great. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin,
1: so I'm more than familiar with the, uh, the long February,
0: January months. Yeah, it gets to be a bit of a bummer. You know, you start like, why do I feel so down in just the winter doldrums? You know, usually this time of year. We would take a trip we'd always plan a trip after the holidays because everyone's back to work ready to go and we're like i'm out of here and we just kind of break up those doldrums and you have something to look forward to after the holidays and we thought about it it's like okay two kids six and a half and one and a half i said i really don't want to do this this is not going to be a vacation let's give it another year remember how much one car seat was Fun putting into a car, imagine two into a rental. I said, no. So it's like, you know, a summer beach house, forget it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. But she used to be in Milwaukee. Yes. Yep.
1: Grew up in Milwaukee very familiar with the long winters and especially like you said February and March because March is still full winter in Wisconsin so um, it gets hard at that point. You just want a little bit of warmth a little bit of sun but it gets weird too you know like some St. Patrick's days it's been like 70 and you're out in a t-shirt and then other ones it's
0: 15 and it's four feet of snow on the ground it's it's crazy. Well it's bizarre because here next week it's going to be 70. Wow. It's just totally bizarre. But in Milwaukee, now you went to California. Why did you move from Milwaukee to California? That's a big change. I guess
1: just uh, the flexibility of being self-employed that, you know, I could kind of live uh, anywhere. And I had come out to California. Before I was a comic book writer, uh, I had a humor book come out through Lions Press um, called Steel Rainbow. And it was a little coffee table book about becoming a 80s rock star. So basically like becoming Monty crew or Van Halen. It had done really well in Los Angeles because that is the home of hair metal, uh, the Sunset Strip. So I came out here and met with some bookstores and did some signings. Just really liked it out here. At the time, I was in my late 20s, and I was like, well, if I want to make a change, now's kind of the time to do it. So was able to do that, and, and yeah,
0: it's been uh, almost five years now. Man, if I could do it over... I would do the same thing. I would go someplace else. Someplace I'd rather be because it's so much. You don't realize how much easier it is then. You think you have so much to risk? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you don't have a family yet, it's, there's nothing to worry about. Just go do it. Go take your chances. Do what you want to do. Follow your dreams. Go where you want to be. So good for you.
1: Thank you. And and that's what my parents said, too. You know, they were very supportive and they said the same exact thing. They said, well, if it's something you want to do, do it now before you have a family. So
0: with that, uh, I did it. I'm sure glad I, I did. Now, what was the best thing about Milwaukee? There's some reason you would want to go back there.
1: Well, summers there are pretty phenomenal. And I know, you know, summers uh, by you on the East Coast, well, I'm sure it's a uh, there's 14,000 lakes in the state of Wisconsin, so um, it's not hard in summer to go find a lake, and it's so beautiful, and there's just forest and woods, and the air is so clean. One thing I definitely noticed now after living in Los Angeles, <laughs> the air quality in Wisconsin <laughs> is pretty phenomenal. Um, but aside from that people are just very nice there as well which I know sounds cliche but you hear stories and you interact with it people always hold the door they will always hold the elevator if you have a flat tire they'll pull over and help you change it if you're having trouble so um, it's just that uh, I guess the Midwestern nice that they say which you kind of find around there and now with Santa Monica what's the best thing about it oh man Uh, the food is pretty great. Uh, but again, just not to sound cliche, but I I think the best thing is that, uh, every single day of the year I go for a walk over lunch and a walk after dinner outside, which growing up in the North, you're kind of stuck inside unless you're under 40 layers and scarves and gloves and heated socks. If you wanted to walk after, uh, Lunch or dinner. So I think that I think that's my favorite thing. Is just um, being able to be outside all year round is what I really enjoy. And no mosquitoes. Oh, <laughs> that, oh man. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's we get plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably the best thing.
1: No <laughs> mosquitoes.
0: I'm gonna go with that. Well, we're here today to talk about your comic book doppelganger. And first of all, congratulations. It was uh, I think it was ranked third selling. In January, the first issue, you meddled, man. You got a bronze.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. It sold really well, which I was really, um, really excited to see.
0: Now, I've had Alterna creators on here before, so for folks who haven't heard about it, and some people actually first heard about it here on the podcast, they are newsprint comic books, $1.50 each. They are basically independent comic books. They are creator-owned and drawn comic books. They are not part of a shared universe per se, so much like... Image and boom, there's Alterna, but it's the cheaper alternative, so you can buy as many as you want because <laughs> it won't kill your budget. Definitely. So, so you have a four-parter, which is Twilight Zone-like. It's funny when I wrote this down in my notes. I was researching this. I wrote down Twilight-like. Now there are no sparkly vampires or shirtless werewolves in this story <laughs> at all. <laughs> can you believe that? Can you believe that's ten years old already? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, I
1: does <just laughs> not seen that.
0: Now I'll tell people what Doppelganger is not. It's not an epic. It's not world building. Nothing's wrong with that, but that's not what it is. It's not superpowers. It's not magic. It's not fantasy. And not really any science fiction elements. Something inexplicable does happen when Dennis meets his doppelganger. And we don't know exactly how this is possible, but there are certain rules that will be laid out in the story. Are they unbreakable? We're going to find out when we read the book. We're going to find out if Dennis is able to stand up for himself. And if not for himself... For his family, is he destined to meet a horrible fate? That's the essence of the book. And that's quite a comic to start with.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm, I'm glad uh, that you enjoyed it. And thank you for the, the, uh, the great overview of the
0: story there. He kind of nailed it uh, right down. I've read the whole series. Every issue has a great cliffhanger. It does not read like a trade. It reads like single-issue comics. And you're hungry for the next one.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. That is something I worked really hard on that I really wanted to pay attention to was how to get that cliffhanger, because you're exactly right, knowing that this is going to be an issue. And it's uh, one thing we do at Alterna is we do bi-monthly releases. So it's not every month, it comes out every other month. So I knew that the cliffhangers would be even more important to kind of really keep people interested to go get that order in from uh, their
0: store. So thank you. Now, the book's already done the entire thing. You're not doing bi-monthly because of getting the writing and the art done. So why was bi-monthly chosen? That
1: was uh, just a choice from Alterna Comics. And I think it's because of the newsprint line is just starting up. There are a bunch of um, titles coming out now through that newsprint line. And Alterna is a very small company, which is one of the things I love about it. It's really the owner-publisher, Peter Cimetti, is, is really kind of doing everything. He juggles so many things, which just impresses me. And I think just because of that, that there's not a ton of editors or other people, that it's just a little easier to um, space things out a little bit.
0: Yeah, you know, One might think that that would be risky, given the number of books on the shelves, to be two months apart with each issue. But I think the key thing is to be consistent. As long as they come out every other month, as scheduled, your audience is going to be there. Back when I read comics back in the 70s, it wasn't unusual for Marvel to have books that were bi-monthly and very popular comic books, too. It's just that they weren't... I think even back in the day, maybe way back, like in the 60s, X-Men might have been bi-monthly.
1: Yep, I remember... uh... As I stare at uh, X-Men 14, which I picked up yesterday at the Long Beach Comic Con, it says right on top of the X-Men masthead logo, it says now on sale monthly. So <laughs> so that means that for for the first 13 issues, yeah, they, they were spaced out. And that was, uh, you know, that's Jack Kirby, Stan Lee too, those first issues. So, yeah, it's just it's kind of crazy to think about.
0: Given Jack's output, it's no wonder it was bi-monthly because a lot of his books had to be. He was doing so many books. He was either doing – well, he was doing a lot of breakdowns at the time.
1: Yeah, and he was pretty much writing each page. When you hear the stories about how um, they used what they call now the Marvel style where Stan Lee basically wrote every single book, which is like 20-some books a month,
0: and he would just give a couple paragraph description of the whole issue to the artists and then they would run with it. Now, that issue that you have in your hand, who's on the cover? What is that story about?
1: Uh, so that is the uh, first appearance of the Sentinels. So there's a huge robotic Sentinel reaching out towards Professor X in the, uh, in the foreground. And then in the background, we have our uh, yellow and blue clad X-Men crawling through the window uh, just in time. And actually Jean Grey swinging on a rope, which is I don't know if I've ever se- seen her swinging on a rope through a skyline. Very interesting.
0: I think if that's the one I'm have in my mind, because I'm not going to look it up right now, I think I had the same comic. I'm pretty sure I do. And I bought that issue of the X-Men. It was the first comic book that wasn't a store. it was a bookstore, but it was the first comic book collection I had seen being sold in Vermont, in the basement of this bookstore. And I bought that issue. I think it was one dollar. Wow! That was that was wow. in seventy seven. And sure. I was like, wow! And it's probably like in fine condition. Yeah. And I was just thrilled to have it. I hope you still have it. I do. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh! Believe me, every book that came from Vermont, any Silver Age I've bought, I've held on to tightly, including anything well, from the right. Bronze Age. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a great book. That, did Kirby actually do the art on that one, or was that someone else?
1: Kirby did do the art I think and don't quote me on this but I think 15 or 16 was his last issue and then it went to someone else but yeah this is still a Kirby
0: special It's been a long time since I've opened that book up. I'm a little afraid to open some of those books up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. Back to your book, your artist, Emmanuel Javier. Very nice art. He's great. With this book, immensely challenging to
1: basically render the same main character twice in the same panel with each other. And all you really have to do, and this is deliberate the way I wrote it, was – The subtlest facial expression should be your clue as to which version of Dennis you're looking at, the real Dennis or the doppelganger. So basically, Emmanuel really carries this book because it was up to him to use body language, essentially, uh, nonverbal communication and posture to show which uh, version of Dennis we're featuring and we're looking at. So I think he did a fantastic job. He's a great artist. He's from... um, Malaysia. There we go. I was thinking Thailand for some reason. But no, he's from Malaysia. So there was a, you know, we only communicate over email, basically on opposite sleep schedules. He did a great job. And uh, I found him on DeviantArt, which is, you know, a big thing being a comic book writer, especially indie comic book writers, you have to find your artists. And it is very hard to find artists that one, want to work on the book you have, and two, have the availability to do it. So really lucked out uh, finding him just by uh, going through tons of pages and sites on DeviantArt and reaching out to him.
0: Can't tell you how important it is, and you know how important it is, to have a really good artist on your book. Because when I looked at the solicitation, I was like, wow, that's that's really good art. It's pretty clean, you know, nice clean lines. And like you said, you can tell by the facial expression alone and body language. Because that is not easy to pull off, that characters in a book look different and to have the same character look different or at least the same physical appearance look different based upon the expression is even doubly hard. So uh, kudos to getting a really good artist in the book because it really helps books get noticed. Totally. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I saw some of his art too. I went on DeviantArt and you just see he did a page, uh, a sample page of Batman 66.
1: Oh yeah, pretty uh, phenomenal. It
0: is, yes, yes. I'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can see that, just to get an idea of his range and ability.
1: I love working with him, but pretty soon here he's going to be working for some pretty big companies. So um, I'm excited for him, but at the same time, it's like ah, back to deviant art to find <laughs> <laughs> new, new artists for new books. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, he's the he could he couldn't be a nicer, sweeter guy either. So he is just an awesome human being that I love working with and had become good friends with as well.
0: Did you go through a fairly extensive vetting process to find someone through DeviantArt? Did you have to go through a lot of different artists, and what were you looking for exactly?
1: Yeah, it was a struggle to find artists, just for like I mentioned before, uh, some artists just. Don't flat out don't want to work on a book, other ones don't have time, other ones that are really good are too expensive, you know, because... It takes a ton of time to do art for a book and if this is the artist's full-time job like they need to get paid, you know, they can't work on spec for indie books. It was tough. It was it was definitely a struggle, but I'm glad I stuck with it. And furthermore, I knew for this book I had to find an artist that was very realistic and good at rendering for what we just talked about the facial expressions. And, you know, it couldn't be more expressionistic or loose because it would totally affect the story. So it took, I want to say, probably from when I had the idea, almost a year to really find a manual, which is crazy to say out loud. But patience and the effort paid off. But, yeah, it was it was not easy to get
0: there. Now, did the book first come out in digital format through comicology? Yes, it did.
1: So it originally came out digitally because that was before Alterna had announced that they were doing the newsprint line. So I think issue one came out digitally right before they announced that. And then it was announced and Doppelganger was asked to be one of those newsprint books, which was great. So then since we had already started the digital, we continued the rollout of that. The sales of newsprint have been much, much higher than digital I'm a comic book guy. You're a comic book guy. There's just something about holding the actual book in your hands, for me at least, that just (laughs) living in an apartment. I mean, on paper, digital is great because I can have thousands of books on my iPad, right? And instead, stacking up pyramids of long boxes. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just that's that's the part of comics. And, you know, for me personally, I just love being able to hold the actual book.
0: Me too. And I do get reminded about the number of boxes I have stacked up down the basement. I mean, I have neatly arranged, but it does keep growing. Um. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the digital, I like it too because it is convenient to carry a lot of books with me. And the colors look great on digital. And I can read more books that way. And I'll read both formats. But I do like having that print copy, especially if it's something I plan to go back to and read again. And you just can't get that feel of the paper any other way than, you know, holding the actual newsprint. And I guess it just goes back to when I first read comics, they were all a newsprint. And I guess there's just some olfactory connection there. It just triggers a memory. I've got to have that print in my hands.
1: Totally. I mean, even as funny as this sounds, I remember when my comp uh, issues came for Doppelganger 1. And when I started reading comics in the late 80s um, as a kid, it was still a newsprint. So, I remember when my first issues of Doppelganger came a few months ago and I just opened the box and you could just smell it already. And then you, you know, I opened the book and just, you could just smell the newsprint and it just was so nostalgic for me. And I was like, this is so great, you know, and I, I love it. And, like you said, colors are way better um, digitally, and also, I would say colors are better on the current comic book pages, which is like coded glossy paper, which you lose in the newsprint, but newsprint for me is just the best. I love it, and also it really cuts the price down that's how we're we're able to have these books at a dollar fifty instead of two ninety nine three ninety nine like everyone else. They kind of go hand in hand
0: yeah, and what Peter's explained to me he's been on the show is that when a book comes out in trade it tends to come out on the nicer paper. So if you did want to keep a copy as a collected edition, they put it on nicer paper when they do that. Yep. But the digital's nice too because, one, going through comicology, I'll find books that I would not have seen otherwise because they're not in print at all yet. Yep. So there's a lot of books out there you can find going through comicology. Is that how... Peter found you, was looking through comicology and seeing the book, seeing that first issue?
1: No. So actually, uh, how I got involved with Alterna was uh, I just uh, did a blind submission of Doppelganger. So I had the cover done, and then I had six pages of interior art that Emmanuel had made. I color the book as well, and I letter it. So everything you see is me and Emmanuel in this book, which I really like, because it's really just a duet, if you will, of a book. So he does the pencils and inks, and then I write and then color and letter. So uh, And I do the covers as well. So it's a, it's a lot of fun to just have two people on the book. So because of that, we pitched some sample pages and then kind of like a story treatment and issue overview and just submitted it on their website. And Peter got
0: back to me a few days later and the rest is history. So you must have followed the rules for submitting a book because I know Peter does post them from time to time because I think people are not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's really important to do. Make it easy for the publisher.
1: (laughs) You got to follow the rules, especially when it's a small publisher like Alterna. And like I said, Peter's juggling so many things like it helps you tremendously to follow for sure you know that's kind of a question i get asked a lot again being a writer uh aspiring writers will ask me like is submitting a script and like a story treatment enough you know even if the idea is great which a lot of them are and the honest answer is no it's not because comic books are a visual format the best comic books you should be able to follow without any dialogue, right? Because it's it's visual. So the art is the most important thing about the comic book. And then publishers, they don't usually want to find artists for the writing. They have a lot of other things going on. So having that art in your submission is probably the most important thing that you can do.
0: You have to show that you can do it. You have yep. to show that you're not going there needing all this done for you. Because like I said, it's a small publisher. They have enough to do as it is. Make it easy as possible and give them a good sample. Exactly right. Now, you're a big fan of comics. You've been collecting comics since the late 80s. And uh, we mentioned the book you have in your possession right now. And you've met Stan Lee. In person. Yeah. So
1: uh, I met Stan at C2E2 last year. That's the Chicago uh, Comic Con. And uh, I love that con. It's other than San Diego, it's my favorite con of the year. I grew up in Milwaukee, so i fly into Milwaukee, and I go down with my dad and brother. So there's the family aspect of it, which is great. But also, I am a comic book collector, always have been, and there was like 60 dealers there last year. It was crazy how many guys were there. So it's fun to do that, and there's a ton of really good uh, like Marvel DC A-list creators that come, so they're all there. But yeah, Stan Lee was there last year. Yeah, I had the chance to meet him before he did a signing. Man, hes I think he's 94 now, but he's still got that childhood glimmer in his eyes. It was crazy and awesome to see. He's still there trucking along and kind of seeing all of his hard work pay off, which is pretty great. I wish Kirby was still here to see all of his stuff too, especially Black Panther, which he had a big part in. But yeah, it's it was pretty awesome to meet Stan. That was you know, living in LA, I, I see celebrities almost on a weekly basis and I couldn't care l- less. You know, like <laughs> I, don't, I don't care at all. I just walk past, like, who cares? And then I meet Stan Lee and, and I literally froze. And I I usually don't freeze. And I was like, Well what what do you do? I mean, this is a guy who was like my hero as a four-year-old. You know, you, I grew up a Marvel kid, so every book you open is Stan Lee Presents, no matter when it was from. So um, yeah, it was definitely uh, one of the, the highlights, I would say, really, of my life to actually meet the guy that had such a huge influence on me.
0: I know his handlers were pretty strict about his time and what he can do and where he goes so did you get a chance to exchange a few words with them
1: just a couple of reasons you just mentioned they're very protective and he's he's up there in age so he does he he has to it seems like from an outside perspective that they try to keep him on a very strict schedule you know and make sure he has enough time to rest and everything so i was able to talk to him for a little bit uh and he's just as sweet and kind as as always but I mean, I wish I could have had more time, but it was better than no time at all. I won't complain.
0: Well, you mentioned a very important thing about longevity is that he has that spark on his eye, that childlike quality to him. And that's something you need to have as you age is to keep that spark of childhood, you know, the dream alive for things you want to do and uh, to keep a good sense of humor. Because it's like the comedians and uh, guys like Stan seem to be the ones that keep trucking along. <laughs>
1: totally. Yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. And he's got both.
0: So what else about I've never been to C2E2.
1: It's usually late March, early April. I think it's the first weekend in April this year. There's always like that stretch of the three big cons of Seattle, which is E, uh, Emerald City Comic Con, then WonderCon out here in Anaheim and then C2E2 so they all are like March April and they kind of like <laughs> do this weird dance around each other almost so the timeline shifts this is the first year I'm not going to Emerald City in Seattle I've gone the past couple of years but I'll just be WonderCon and C2E2 this year it's a blast it's really big it's in downtown Chicago at McCormick Place and it's just crazy to see growing up for me going to comic cons when I was a kid it was you know in a wedding reception room in the embassy suites were the comic book cons I went to. Um, and it was almost like a comic books and trading cards, you know, together. And to see how they are now, it's it's pretty mind-blowing to see how things have changed.
0: And do you have uh, comics on your list that you're always looking to fill in certain gaps in your collection?
1: Yeah, always. Which I really shouldn't. I have a problem, but you know and <laughs> it's We all do, as long as you can admit it. But, uh... I used to have specific books I looked for, which I still kind of do, but, uh, I also just go with a budget in mind and try to go from there as well. So like, for example, I was not planning on picking up an X-Men 14 yesterday, but I found it in like perfect condition. It's, it's in very fine condition. The cover's perfect. And it was at a really good price. And I was like, well, there's my, my treat for the day. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that's, that's kind of where I'm at now. But, um, You know, I love – my favorite series is probably the Journey into Mysteries, the Thor Journey into Mysteries. And um, those are pretty hard to find, and they're pretty expensive. So those are always a challenge, but that's usually what I'm always looking for. And uh, also, I love old Hulks and old x mens too, so – and Spider-Man. I mean, yeah, it
0: just I know. keeps. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps. It, I get like a craving for something. You know, like I'm like, I'm here to buy Commandy and then I'll say, oh, oh, there's that Journey into Mystery. I'll be like, oh, I gotta get this now because there it is, and I'm going to see this again, especially when I can look at. And you know, you can always go online and try to buy stuff, but it's sight unseen. I mean, there are very reputable dealers out there online, and most of them I've never had a problem with. But I still, you know, when you're when it's there in front of you.
1: <laughs> totally. Kinda, yeah. It, you start getting the sweaty palms and your ears <laughs> start ringing a little bit. And you're like, ah. <laughs> don't worry. I'm there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But that's that's why I like buying them. That's why I like collecting them. And not just buying and collecting. I read them. I don't just put them in plastic or I don't like them slabbed. I want to read them. That's very important. Yeah, We talked about the tactile feel. The colors, the smell, I have to experience the whole thing. And to me, there's nothing like seeing the old ads too and the old letter pages because I get an insight into fans at the time and what they liked and what was important to them too.
1: I have a great story about that if I can go off on a side tangent here about comic collecting. Uh, (laughs) Obviously, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, George R. R. Martin fan like uh, like always. And uh, I was listening to a podcast and they asked, you know, what was the first published work you had? And he said, Well, technically, my first published uh, article or published piece I had written is a fan letter in the back of Avengers 12. I was like, What? And sure enough, he wrote a letter to Stanley and Jack Kirby about the Wonder Man character from a few issues beforehand. So I was at a con and I found an Avengers 12 and I pulled it. Sure enough, fan letter, George R. Martin in the back and his New Jersey address. I was like, You have to be kidding me. <laughs> so. Um, I bought a copy, and then I had Stan Lee sign it when I met him, as you had mentioned. And then StokerCon, which is the uh, horror convention, it travels every year. Last year it was in Long Beach um, on the Queen Mary, and he was the guest of honor, George R. R. Martin. So there was this long line of signatures, and they were like, George is on a tight schedule. He's going to sign and keep going. No pictures, no talk, like, no handshakes, whatever. So I go up there and I lay down Avengers 12, and like he pauses, (laughs) and the whole table pauses. And he goes, Oh my God. He's like, I haven't seen this in years. He looks at me and he goes, I have a fan letter in here and I'm smiling. And then he goes, that's probably why you want me to sign it. And I was like, yep. So then he's, he's t- like, he opens it up and he's showing all of his handlers and everyone with him that his letters in there. Everyone in line is starting to take pictures of this book and everything. And it was like, you know, they wanted to keep it going. And I ended up sitting there holding up the line, talking to him for like two or three minutes, just about the book and about, he was telling Stan Lee stories about how he met Stan and all this stuff. And then, yeah, I get out of the line, and then I get out of the line like to a hero's welcome of all these strangers I didn't know, and they're giving me high fives and all this stuff. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's my favorite back issue story. So if you find an Avengers 12, crack it open to the back, and you'll see a letter from a preteen George R.R. R. Martin in the back of it. I will. I have that copy, so
0: I'm going to have to go dig it out and take a look.
1: That's great. That's a great story. Yeah, it was just it was just really, really fun. It was uh, it was hilarious. But just to see his eyes light up and, you know, just further example that uh, you see all these really great creators, whether they're in the movies or they're novelists or what have you. And they all kind of started in comics with comics, you know, reading them as a kid. And I think that just speaks to the power and importance of comic books in
0: general. Yeah, that's what's so wonderful about them. That's why I can't give them up. (laughs) Let me ask about some of your other interests. Uh, You are a fan of hair metal music? Yes, yes. And one time you even talked about it on MTV...
1: MTV uh, featured Steel Rainbow on their website. So, the book that I wrote, yeah, they featured Steel Rainbow. So, that was pretty awesome. And the Huffington Post as well, and Drum Magazine and Guitar World. It was great. There was a really good reception to the book when it came out in 2012. I don't know why I love hair metal so much. I guess growing up in the 80s, my dad loved Van Halen. So, like, we always blasted Van Halen. And now, you know, David Lee Roth is like this god. My wife forbids me from putting a shrine of him in the living room too. But <laughs> if I was single, there'd probably be a David Lee Roth
0: shrine somewhere,
1: <laughs> just because he was so ridiculous. The stuff he said and did, like, just can't believe he did it.
0: So. Oh, he's a huge personality. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he cracks me up.
0: No, I listened to those albums too when I was, uh, you know, in high school. I would, I got the first one and the second one, and I love Diver Down and all that stuff he does, and. He should stick to music, though, that time he was a DJ, when he took over for Howard Stern.
1: Oh, yeah. I listened for a
0: while, and I I heard the transition. Uh, He didn't last too long, though.
1: (laughs) No, no, he didn't. Yeah, I saw them at the Hollywood Bowl two years ago, and they were still phenomenal. I mean, Eddie is in my opinion, the greatest living guitarist that we have. I mean, besides Clapton and, you know, all of them, it's Jimmy Page is seeing Eddie Van Halen play live. He's just as good now as he was on those albums from the 70s. It's it's pretty amazing. What other bands do you like from the 80s? Van Halen's kind of the best. And then Motley Crue, those are like the two that live on, Crew Crue and, and Van Halen, because, you know, they were actual great rock, but... Um, other than that, it's like you just switch it up. A few songs from Twisted Sister, a few songs from um, Dokken. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's whatever. Even Kiss, Kiss, Lick oh, yeah. It Up. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what a what a just ridiculous <laughs> but great song and more ridiculous video. The whole era just makes me laugh, you know. And I don't know if I'm laughing at it or with it, but I'm laughing, so I can't not listen to it.
0: Do you know David Lucarelli? Who's working on Tinseltown for Alterna?
1: Digitally, so I'm going to meet him face to face at WonderCon. We're doing a panel at WonderCon this year, Alterna Comics one. So yeah, I will. But we've had a uh, we've had an online friendship.
0: I was going to say you guys should be splitting a table because he's like a huge Kiss fan too. Oh man, <laughs> that's going to be great. <laughs> you guys are going to have a great <laughs> conversation. I guarantee that. <laughs> that's great. As I've gotten older, I've tried different kinds of music, and my wife must think I'm going through a crisis or something because I'm, like, into heavy metal now. And I've listened to all kinds, like, you know, Billy Joel and The Beatles and just, like, more pop-type rock. I've just found music that I didn't know existed and, you know, it started with, like, Black Sabbath. And I'm talking, like, I'm in my 50s, and I'm like, this is pretty great. Have people heard this stuff? And, I'm like, of course they have. But, you know, it's to me, it's fun. It's something different. It's really, really good. It certainly opened my mind and my eyes, so it's fun.
1: It's great. Can't beat it.
0: You're also a fan of Dean Martin?
1: I love all types of music. I have a wide, wide range.
0: You know, it's kind of all over
1: the place. Y- you got to switch it up. So it kind of really goes in different moods. One day it'll be Dean Martin. And then the next day, it'll be like the whole Bon Scott era ACDC all day long. (laughs) And then... The next day, it's like just the Peaceful Piano playlist on Spotify. I mean, I'm all over the place. So um, just about the only thing I really don't listen to is country, pop country. Johnny Cash, you know, Waylon Jennings, I'll listen to that. But current pop country is about the only type of music I don't listen to.
0: You know, oddly enough, I don't listen to it either. I know it's very popular now. But when I was growing up, um, I was exposed to a lot of country uh, just like you said, my dad uh, had his own business, and he would play country music. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Paycheck, Charlie Rich. He would just play these on 8-track all day in his shop. And I was working for him, so I was like, all day, I was like, oh, God. But I was exposed to it, so <laughs> I'm familiar awesome. with it. Yeah, in the car, popping the 8-track. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Uh, and Dean Martin, I'll tell you, I have such respect for him, and his voice is Phenomenal I mean he's just so smooth F oh
1: birthless. yeah
0: his Christmas album I downloaded that and it is so good
1: that's always on rotation here in December as well it's great
0: if people haven't listened to go oh that's old stuff you really need to listen to this guy's voice and how I mean everyone knows about Frank Sinatra listen to Dean he's so smooth and so relaxed just the way he goes through the lyrics is amazing. Definitely.
1: Yeah, just awesome.
0: Now, you've done some other work in comics, too, right? Uh, You did a webcomic, Middle School Earth?
1: Yes. Middle School Earth is a webcomic I did with one of my best friends, um, Justin Harder, who, funny enough, lives seven blocks from me, and we met at WonderCon a couple years ago. So uh, Justin does movie end titles. So after the movie ends, you see the credits of the main actor, director, writers come up. So he did the end titles for Deadpool, which the little cartoon stick figure Deadpool. Oh, yeah. Um, and he also did Thor, the Dark World. So he was at WonderCon and we started talking and he does Deadpool sketches. And that's been my little brother's favorite character for like 15 years. So I was like, well, oh, what would you do one for my brother? And then he did a sketch and we started talking and... It came out that we both lived in Santa Monica. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And then it came out that we both lived seven blocks from each other, which is crazy. And then it was like a total, like, did we just become best friends? And we're like, I think so. And then uh, we kind of just uh, started meeting up for coffee after that. And we wanted to do a book together. So... Uh, We thought Middle School Earth would be a good place. A story of middle school students set in a fantasy world. You know, middle school is a very awkward time in everyone's life. So we thought, well, what if those are actually students set uh, in a fantasy-type planet? So it's something we had a ton of fun doing. We just sit there laughing while we were working on it. So I wrote it, and then he did the artwork. And it's available online at MiddleschoolEarth.com. And then we had trade paperbacks uh, printed up that... We sell at cons, and he'll be at WonderCon and San Diego Comic-Con this year, which I'll be hanging out with him, I'm sure, every day, and we'll have trades there.
0: And you had another book, too, uh, Terminarch?
1: Terminarch came out 2016 through Awesome Comics, and uh, that was an idea I had way back in high school that just took, geez, 15 years to come to fruition. But, you know, I just struggled with the fact in, in high school that importance was put on Grades. Like, how good are you at studying, or how good are you at figuring out this chemistry equation, right? You know, and it was very frustrating for me, being an average student, to see that or to be made fun of for not being in AP classes while all my friends were. But, you know, it was an AP art. I was just thinking, like, man, if we get to a point where the robots do take over, like, all of these book smart type jobs, they're going to be able to, like, do themselves way faster. The artistic jobs like writing a song or painting picture or hand rendering something that a robot wouldn't be able to do because, you know, they say art comes from the soul, which I agree with. So I just thought, well, what if I wrote a story about robots taking over and basically the robots worship all living human artists as gods because they can create and create art while a robot can't do that, but it could do everything else. So... It's
0: a really belabored story. I apologize for that. <laughs> no,
1: but uh, but yeah, that's the concept there.
0: And again, you teamed up with a great artist.
1: So this one, uh, I teamed up with Terry Huddleston on this one, and he was easier to find because he had done work with Awesome Comics before. And I had become friends with the editor of Awesome Con Seek Donnelly at uh, WonderCon we had met. And we started talking, kind of pitched him the idea. And he said, well, Terry, you know, is the artist we use. And Terry was actually at that con. And he's at a lot of cons. Terry Huddleston is his name. So then I talked to him. And that one was very easy. That was a seamless. I was like, man, this is like too easy. And this is like a fluke thing. And as I found with Doppelganger, it totally was. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, another great artist.
0: Outside of what you're doing right now, do you have a dream project or collaboration? Man,
1: I honestly would be awesome to, you know, since I was a four-year-old, the dream would always be to do a Marvel book. I wanted to be an artist growing up as a kid, and then I kind of lost interest in that in high school, but still wanted to do comics somehow, so I became a writer. For more often, I'm happy doing creator-owned stuff and I like what I'm doing horror and that's kind of like where I want to take my career is just to stay in indie creator-owned just that little kid of me that little four-year-old staring at a Spider-Man poster on his bedroom wall I feel like even if I just did one backup story in one Marvel book it would be kind of like That little four-year-old dream came true. Something like meeting Stan Lee
0: was. So I'd say I have to go with that. (laughs) Well, you know, that would be the best of both worlds to do a backup or an annual so that you've done it. But the pleasure that you get and the control that you have of doing the covers and the lettering and the colors for your own book where it's just you and another person, you can't beat that.
1: No, you're exactly right. And I much prefer it to that. So that's why I think I'll stick with indie creator owned. It's just more fun for me.
0: Now I have my rest and relaxation questions. And you've listened to the show, so you know what's coming. So what do you like to do for rest and relaxation?
1: Uh, I like to read. I try to read three books at a time, which I know sounds crazy, but it's just like what I try to do. I try to read a fiction novel or a fiction short story, uh, compilation, uh, nonfiction novel or book, and then ongoing comic books or, or graphic novels spliced in. So I love reading. I love going to the movies, try to get out to a movie every two weeks, if possible, just something about buttered popcorn. I worked in a movie theater in high school, so, um, I think that's part of it too. So I love doing that. And then, uh, try to stay busy you know if there's good video games my video game playing has really gone down since living in california because it was a lot easier during winter in the midwest to play video games but here it was sunny and 70 every day it's like ah i should be outside so the video games have gone down but yeah uh, mostly i'd say reading is is really what i love doing
0: so folks what we've learned here today is that creators have very diverse tastes in music and in reading. That's why you're reading three books at once, while your music changes with your tastes, and that seems to be the common denominator for creators. You got to have very eclectic tastes cuz it inspires what you do. Definitely. Now, your island book. I guess there'd have to be three so you can rotate them. <laughs> what would they be?
1: Ah, uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Well, my favorite book of all time is The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. I would need that there for sure. David Mitchell is the author of Cloud Atlas, and he is just the best writer in the world, to to me at least, and uh, and he writes science fiction sometimes, and and I love Bone Clocks. Stephen King Misery is just a book that amazes me. It's a novel basically set in one room in a house with only two characters. And the fact that Stephen King could write an entire novel with such restrictions like that and keep it a page turn interesting, it's just really amazing to think about. And then for the final one, I'm going to have to go with, I'm going to go with American Gods by Neil Gaiman, just because the House on the Rock is such a big part of that book in Wisconsin. And In summer, my grandparents used to take me and my cousins there every year to House on the Rock. And Neil Gaiman portrays that perfectly in the book. So it's very nostalgic
0: for me. Have you seen the TV show?
1: I have, yes. Thoughts? I think Ian McShane is perfect as Wednesday. And Shadow, I'm blanking on his name, is really good too. Probably because I love the book so much, I, I like the book better. And I, I, I think that's probably the case with a lot of things. But I'll, I still watch every episode. But the book is just, I think, too beloved to me.
0: And the comic, have you seen the comic as well?
1: Uh, yeah, I picked up the first couple issues of the comic,
0: which just seemed to be
1: um, the book adapted into comics form, which is really cool. But uh, I really just look at it, that book, more for the art because I know kind of what's going on and what's being said. So, yeah, it's, it's a fun one, too.
0: So your advice, go to the source.
1: Yeah, that would be mine.
0: And your beverage of choice. Oh,
1: that's an easy one. That's a ice-cold Coca-Cola classic. With the pure cane sugar? No, just a regular Coke. I, I call them Red Dragons, which I know is super lame, but uh, <laughs> it's funny. I just go out to restaurants or bars, and my friends will order me a Coke, and they'll they'll ask for a Red Dragon and get a weird stare, and then they'll say, uh, regular Coke, please. So... <laughs>
0: And if someone were to make an action figure of you, what would be your accessory? I think I'm gonna to have to go with like a giant
1: broadsword like a foot and a half wide type broadsword that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> I think I think I'd have to go with that.
0: Now why that?
1: uh I don't know it's just I'm tall so i'm I'm six three so I'm a tall guy so I feel like just having a giant broadsword for like scale and perspective would just be look so ridiculous. <laughs> so I think I think that's why.
0: All right. Well, that's different. I haven't heard that one before, but a good choice. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So Doppelganger issue two has already come out. So we're looking at three and four left to come out on the newsstand and the comic shops. And I say newsstand because I'm thinking of the bookstores. Barnes & Noble carries it as well.
1: Yep. Barnes & Noble and Toys R Us and then, yeah, comic book stores. And if you missed the first two, they're still available on alternacomics.com. You can order the actual issues for $1.50 there, which is great.
0: Yeah, and don't be afraid to do that. I've done it, because I've missed some, and they ship them very nicely, and they're well-protected, so they do go pretty quick in the comic shops. They're good books, and a cover price, you know, why not? So people just throw them into their stack when they go to check out. Yep, it's great. Well, Jordan, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for being on Creative Talks. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. This was a blast. It was a blast, and we both had a great time talking about comics. And one thing I want to go back and correct that I said during the interview, I said I thought I had X-Men number 14 and I don't. I am envious of Jordan's acquisition. I know of what he speaks. I actually have X-Men number 16, the book that is the third part of that story. And alas, I did not pay only a dollar for it. I paid $1.50. Okay, still, great deal. I still have the book. I'm looking at it as I speak. There it is in its bag, protected all these decades I've had it, with the handwritten fine condition on it and the price of $1.50 on a sticker, not on the book itself. Uh, Great book. And you know, it was drawn by Jay Gavin in the credits. And I'm like, who's Jay Gavin? Jay Gavin is the alternate name for Werner Roth. He was doing work for DC too. And he didn't want them to know that he was doing work for Marvel. So Jay Gavin is Werner Roth, who took over after Jack Kirby worked on the X-Men. And then later, it was Adams, and Tom Palmer doing the art. It was actually Werner Roth's art that I first saw when I received my first X-Men comics. My dad brought them home when I was sick. I used to have a lot of fevers when I was little. And he would bring home comics. Archie, DC, all kinds. But these two stood out in my minds. One was The Mimic, which was on issue number 62, which was a reprint. The big 25-cent reprints in the early 70s. And the other was the El Tigre story, issue number 74 and that one had a 20 cent cover price both books had new covers on them though the mimic had one with art by Sal Busima and el Tigre with art by Gil Kane and those came out in 71 72 and I seem to remember getting both books at the same time even though they had been published months apart but it wasn't unusual back then to find in the spinner rack at your local convenience store books that were published several months apart and since one was $0.25, cents, which was well above the price, it went from 15 the to 25 for a month back down to $0.20 cents at Marvel. So maybe that book was passed by because of the high cover price at the time. Anyway, I enjoyed them both, and I still have both those well-read, well-worn original issues. If you've never had a chance to check out those early X-Men, and I'm sure you're probably familiar with Jack Kirby's work, check out Werner Roth's work. See what he did with the X-Men. He covers a very important part of the early history of the X-Men. Thank you for joining me this week. Next week, I have a bonus episode. Ron Randall returns. He was on episode number 11, and he will be back to talk about his Trekker Kickstarter, an original graphic novel, the next chapter in Mercy St. Clair's Adventures, Chapel Town. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube and also on Amazon Echo and Dot devices. Just say, Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and -and up-and-coming comic creators. Tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show. And to subscribe. The content is free just as valued are your comments and feedback. You can reach me through Facebook and Twitter at CreatorTalksPod. That's at CreatorTalksPod. You can also reach out to me by email. You can find that at my website, CreatorTalks.com. At the website, you will also find blog posts, reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts and videos and other written articles on the website, CreatorTalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests, It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.